We recently had Psalm 62 explained to us, and a long time ago we had Psalm 62 explained to us in this pulpit, like Jonah did earlier, uh, by two of my sons. And in Psalm 62, Charlie, it says, I shall not be greatly moved. And then as the psalm develops, it says, I shall not be moved. As we put our trust in the Lord, and it's trust and obey. Those were great songs we just sang, great songs that we sang this morning. Christian, lovest thou me more than these? The these there were cares and pleasures. When Jesus said those words to Peter, he wasn't asking Peter, do you love me more than these cares and pleasures? He asked Peter, do you love me more than the other ten apostles? And so either way, I like both of those. Let's love them the most. David would have never settled for sec loving the Lord's second best. Abraham certainly wasn't second best. Lot could compromise in Sodom and Gomorrah and the Jordan Valley, but not Abraham. Let's be different. Let's choose to be different for the Lord. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. This past week, I asked you to view two slide presentations from our church's archives. The first one was dealing with Genesis 15, 6, about the stars and counting the stars. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted to him for righteousness. I wanted you to see that in its proper perspective. I said some pretty strong things about it in the first sermon, and I'd say them again right now if I had lots of time. It's an insignificant event in Abraham's life. James said it was very insignificant, and it really had no meaning. Until chapter 22 gave it some credence. That because of what he did in James 22, then Genesis 15 takes on value because there's then evidence and proof for it. So that you see then how the by works man is justified and not by faith only. Uh, Genesis 15, James said, wasn't too big. But I want to I point out to you just a little pra tiny practical point. God knows your frame, and he knows how weak you are. And so a little tiny event like that, he can say he counted it to him for righteousness. Every little believing opportunity you have in your life, jump on it. That means jump on it. Embrace it. Every little event where you can believe God, do it. And he'll count it to you for right. It'll be one more evidence of righteousness in your life. Romans 4 is difficult, but it is not with the key I gave you in the first service and in the slide presentation on Wednesday evening as to why Paul is using that verse over and over and over again. He wasn't an Arminian. He wasn't having a weak moment. He had the tool that God had given him from God's Word to undo Jewish legalism. There are some hard questions that can be asked from Romans 4, but they disappear with the proper understanding of uh, the role of Genesis 15, verses 5 and 6. The second slide presentation that I had you watch this past week was about Abraham's land, or 
I have those in reverse order. I can't remember. I've watched them a number of times with and without other people. But it was Abraham's land as well. Maybe that was first. Okay, thank you. Um, Abraham's land. You know, we were, we were taught repeatedly that Abraham's land was Palestine, and we ought to do everything in our power to help the Jews have Palestine. We ought to do it as Americans. We ought to do it as a government. We ought to do it with tax revenues for them. We ought to be willing to ship money all over the world to help Jews immigrate into Israel and get back to the promised land, even though they're Christ-haters as they are in the world. And we didn't, know that we didn't know the difference, and we were using Schofield reference Bibles that had statements in it about God's unconditional promise of that land to the Jews that had never been fulfilled yet. And so I was able to show you the error on that point. Those two errors are huge in the geopolitical and religious scheme of the whole world and, and the idea of salvation by Christians. You know, the whole world has some concept, either the Jews do belong in Palestine or let's drive the Jews off of Palestine into the Mediterranean because they don't belong there, but it's a controversial issue. And we have Bible answers for it. And you got to hear those. And so it gave you some preparatory material coming into today. Now those were two issues. The proper understanding of Genesis 15, 5, and 6, Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness, and the promises of the land. And how the Bible says repeatedly that those promises of the land were fulfilled. And Nehemiah 9 is my favorite one of the ten I shared with you because Nehemiah 9 says... Because you're righteous, you kept your promises to Abraham. Back in the day, Joshua chapter 11 and 21 were my favorites. And I explained why. They make reference to the promises to Moses. I want to go back and get the origin of those land promises to Abraham, and that's in Nehemiah 9. And we have the answers. Thank you, Lord, for those answers. Now, here are two different things. Here are two different things that you need that I need to help us understand the covenant promises made to Abraham. Two things we must keep in mind. Forget those two issues, these two things. First, Jesus and Christians are the real seed of Abraham. Second issue, Abraham had a spiritual, not a carnal, earthly, or natural view of the promises. If you can keep those two in mind, you can read the 14 chapters and say, I know how that's fulfilled naturally. I know how that's fulfilled spiritually. I know what was important to Abraham about that. And I know that the Lord really intended the spiritual blessings in that and not the natural. So here, here we go. Let's prove these two points. We're in Galatians chapter 3. The point is, Jesus and Christians are Abraham's true seed and the objects of the promises. So when you go back and you read Genesis 12 through 25 and you find some promise there, that promise is primarily, greatly, for Jesus and you. If you believe on Jesus Christ, it's for you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Galatians 3. Third time. The point from these verses, Jesus and Christians are the true seed of Abraham. Verse 7, Know ye, therefore, 
Galatians 3, 7. See, I'm leaving off verse 6. Look at verse 6. We covered that already in the slide presentation. I'm at verse 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, those are Christians, they believe. The same are the children of Abraham. I'm going to bury you with this point because we've got to establish it ironclad and we will never be moved. The real seed of Abraham is Jesus and Christians. And Abraham had a spiritual perspective of things, not an earthly, carnal, or natural. But first, first, fifth time, Jesus and Christians are the real seed of Abraham. Verse 8, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, that's you and me, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So we're the seed of Abraham again in verse 9, because of verses 7 through 9 going together to tell us that. Verse 16, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, back there in the Old Testament, in Genesis 14 through 25, he saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. I promise, Abraham, and your seed, I'm going to do this. To thee and thy seed, I will do such and such. The seed is Christ. This verse is incredibly important to us. And we defend our Bible by this verse. And when you run into somebody that's using a new King James Bible and they need you to show them that their Bible is wrong, take them here to Galatians 3.16 in a new King James Bible. It will be worded sufficiently like this to make the point. It will say seed belongs in the Old Testament. What the Bible says is the Old Testament scriptures of God have the word seed in the promises made to Abraham. And those promises of land... And of, the, of the seed. Let me, let me put it that way. The, pro, the first promise to a seed is Genesis 12, 7. The last promise to a seed is Genesis 24, 7. And all of them in between can be found on our website in a little document about the New King James Bible. But what a verse like this says, Now to Abraham and his seed where the promise is made, he saith not, God, Moses, didn't say seeds, back there in Genesis, he said seed, singular, not the plural, because the seed is Christ. And so even a New King James Bible will have Galatians 3.16 close enough for you to be able to use it against them. Then you've got to memorize 12.7. You've got to know where to take them. because you. Well, now you have my website at your, at your thumb tip. And you can go to the website and take them back to Genesis 12.7. And in a King James Bible, it says seed like it has to. Because Paul is saying, trusting the Bible at the word level, trusting the Bible at the letter level, it's going to say seed, it will not say seeds. There is no way I can be stood up on this. There is no way the scripture can be broken. The word will be seed. But you go back there in a new King James Bible, and it is descendants, and descendants, and descendants, and descendants. Changing it. So we thank God for our King James Bibles. I just gave you another way of dealing with somebody that uses the new King James Bible. 
The New King James Bible is not directly in the line of all the false Bible versions coming out of Westcott and Hort and the Church of England in 1870 to 1881. It is just enough of alterations to a King James Bible that they could get their copyright on a public domain book. When you take a public domain book in order to get a copyright on it, you need to throw in a few changes to it in order to get your copyright on a book that's not copyrighted. And so they did that. And that is the cash cow of Thomas Nelson Publishers. No one else can publish a new King James Bible. 1978. Pastor, you give me the impression that you hate the new King James Bible. You are a perceptive audience and a discerning one. I do hate it. I love our King James Bibles. And you know that when you go back there, you're going to find the word seed, and you're not going to find descendants. And so look at this verse. Every one of you, you too, you're 13 now. Now to Abraham and his seed. We're going to read this over and over back there in Genesis between chapters 12 and 25, where the promises made, covenant promises. God didn't say, Moses didn't write, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. That is so important. And once we lay hold of that, we read and interpret the promises made in Genesis in a very different way. We're not thinking of Jews in the Middle East. We're thinking of Jesus Christ in heaven and those that are with him. Look at verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. That faith was already introduced to us in verse 7 that I read to you just a few minutes ago. Verse 27, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Faith without baptism doesn't really exist because the two of them go together until you're... It's all, it's all that you can do until you're allowed to be baptized. So faith, take, faith is valuable, but faith is so connected to baptism in the Bible, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, is how the Savior would teach it. If, you're gonna, if you really believe, the first thing you want to do is get baptized. And so we have these two verses tied together this way. And verse 38, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female in Christ. Because those are the last words of verses 26 and 27. In Christ, and we've put on Christ, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. So this is Christians. Christians who believe on Jesus Christ. Christians who have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And God doesn't care if you're a Jew or a Greek. Now that's important when we're talking about Abraham's seed. He doesn't, he doesn't care that I'm not a Jew when talking about Abraham's seed. I thought Abraham's seed were the Jews. No, not the real seed. Not the seed that counts. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Three verses, 26, 27, 28, describing true Christians. And if ye be Christ, and if ye be Christians this way, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Fantastic truth. Fantastic truth. You've heard it so many times from me, you take it for granted. And to get over that, all you need to do is meet someone who believes that it's the descendants of Abraham that are the seed, instead of Jesus Christ and instead of Christians, and watch their programs of wanting to subsidize that nation in the Middle East 
their programs to subsidize Zionism, their distortion of the Bible through dispensationalism, then you would appreciate our children. I don't know how to tell you how important that 16th verse is. And then these verses, that you are the seed of Abraham. The promises are yours. You're the heirs of the promise. Chapter 4. Chapter 4. What is this book called? Galatians. Central Turkey. Gentiles. Verse 21. Tell me. These are Jewish legalists. He's opposing. These are Jews. He's opposing. These are the biological seed of Abraham. He's opposing. Tell me. Ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons. If you go back and read Genesis and the record that Moses gave of the history of our nation and people, it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. That's Hagar and Sarah. But he who was of the bondwoman, that's Hagar, was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise. Because Genesis 14 through 25 is filled with promises, not by fleshly accomplishments. Verse 24, which things are an allegory? Now, sometimes the Lord will tell us when he's giving us a symbolic spiritualization of an event in the Old Testament. And this is an allegory of looking at those two women and their two sons, Hagar, the servant woman, and her son Ishmael, Sarah, the rightful wife, and her son by promise and miraculous conception, Isaac. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants. The one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. That's the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, Moses' system of salvation. These two women give us a picture of the Old versus the New Covenants. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. All you Jewish legalists are in bondage to a system that is to be compared to Hagar and Ishmael. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Gentiles, Galatians, central Turkey, the mother of us all. Jerusalem, which is above. There's a Jerusalem on earth. There's a Jerusalem above. The allegory that Paul is drawing is... You that are so committed to Moses, you are like Hagar and Ishmael. He's gonna, his language is going to get worse. Just hold on. And you that are Christians that I described in chapter 3, you're compared to Sarah. By the way, that's princess. Sarah, my princess. Sarah, princess. In general, the mother of all nations, of many nations. It just, it's a little play on Sarah. Eh, never mind. It's not worth it. But you have both names. We're going to run into Sarah and why God renamed her in the same chapter that he renames Abraham. Verse 27, For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Anybody remember those words? Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. 
Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Two women. We got two women. A slave woman named Hagar and her son Ishmael, and the free woman, the full wife, the true wife of Abraham named Sarah and her son Isaac. And so the Apostle Paul is drawing a doctrinal argument from two women and their sons. And he quotes about the rejoicing that the son of the free woman, there's going to be a whole lot more over there on that side than there is by Hagar, even though God made of Hagar through Ishmael a great nation. And the Bible tells us that as well. Verse 28, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. This is to Gentiles. This is to Galatians. These are the verses that I want you to know and be solidly convinced that the Bible teaches that the real seed of Abraham, so that the promises back in Genesis make sense, are Christ and Christians. Us. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Isn't that amazing? Describing the Jewish legalists chasing Paul throughout the Roman world, trying to undermine his churches with their Jewish legalism. So there's this conflict between the Jews and Christians. And the Jews aren't the seed of Abraham. It's the Christians, though Gentiles, that are the seed of Abraham. So when you get back there into the Ten Promises, and what, I got the Ten Promises for you. They're, they're wonderful promises. Oh, I'm going to milk them for your benefit. It's going be, to be high cream, high cream levels. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Though all of Jerusalem be against us, though the leadership of the Jews be against us, though the scribes that sit in Moses' seat be against us, nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Those events back there in Genesis are taken and pulled forward by the Apostle Paul by inspiration of the Holy Spirit for great use for us and great comfort. It's a terrible story to read about the division in Abraham's family. But guess which side of the division we're on? Not the side that people think Gentiles are on. We're on the free woman's side, Sarah's side. <laughs> so then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. All these statements are just repetitions of the same thing. Jesus and Christians are the seed of Abraham. Dad... I'm sorry you weren't taught it. So you couldn't teach me. But we both know it now. Remember on the phone yesterday? Thank you, Lord, for saving our souls in so many ways. I'm sorry you weren't taught it. It's okay. We both know it now. Chapter 6 and verse 16. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. There's an Israel of God and there's an Israel that isn't God. Romans chapter 4, that isn't of God. Let's go to Romans chapter 4. 
I've used three places, three chapters of Galatians. Now it's time for Romans 4. The point that we're making, the point that I'm going to bury, the points that you'll always read, the promises in Genesis this way, Jesus and Christians are the true, the real seed of Abraham. Romans 4, beginning at verse 11. And he recited, this is Abraham, he received the sign of circumcision in Genesis 17, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised. That's the event of Genesis 15. That he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Don't get confused by all those words. What I want out of that verse is this simple. In the middle of this verse, it says that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised. Okay, brother, though we're Gentiles and we don't fit into the biological descendants of Abraham, God has arranged things and God is showing us that the real seed and the real children of Abraham are us Christians who believe like Abraham believed, no matter whether we're circumcised or not circumcised in the flesh. we got to keep going. Verse 12, And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only. So he's our father. It just keeps saying, Abraham's our father. Abraham's our father. Abraham's our father, which makes us his seed. But but who also walk in the steps of that faith of... the, The faith of... What does your Bible say? Of, oh, our father Abraham. Oh, there it is again. Our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, that's Jews, following Moses, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed. So the promise might be sure to all the seed, it's by grace. What does that mean? Gentiles get saved by the grace of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. So that it is Jesus and Christians that are the true seed of Abraham. Not to that only which is of the law, that means Jews following Moses, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. All us believers, Jew or Gentile, bond or free, male or female, there's no difference. It's do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Then you're Abraham's seed. Then you're Abraham's children. And Abraham's our father. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. That doesn't, Israel's one nation. I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become, that he might become the father of many nations. Because here we are in a different nation, and Abraham's our father, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. We are the seed of Abraham by believing. Circumcision's irrelevant. Jew or Gentile's irrelevant. Bond or free, everything's irrelevant. Except do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you been baptized in his name? Galatians chapter 3? Then it's Jesus and Christians are the true seed of Abraham. Look at chapter 9. Chapter 9, it can't get any plainer than what I'm about to read to you. Romans chapter 9, verse 6. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither, because they are the seed of Abraham, are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise 
are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And then it goes on to those twins in the womb of Rebekah, where God made a difference between Jacob and Esau in the mother's womb before they had done any good or evil. Covenant children. Covenant promises. And here, Abraham had eight sons. I've taught all this in great detail before. We went through Romans 9. Abraham had, did you know that? Eight sons, one by Hagar, named Ishmael, one by Sarah, named Isaac, and uh, I have not memorized these six sons of Keturah. I'm sorry. By the way, do you know what commentaries can do for you if you want to get into this? Keturah stuff? I want to share this with you. If this distracts you, I have made a serious blunder. But now it's too late. The Jewish fable is that Keturah was Hagar under a different name that hung around out of love for him for 50 years. She was a 20-year-old slave girl when Abraham had her the first time and had Ishmael, Ishmael by her. And after Sarah died, he went back and got, got her again and had six more children by her at 70. Just thought I'd throw it out. I meant throw it out, you know, in the trash. <laughs> amazing. It's amazing what people will waste their time on. Why would you even want to write me about that? Why would you want to put that in a commentary? Sorry. I now feel the weight of my error. I just love God's Word the way it is. Yes. The way it is. I can look at Romans 9, 6 through 8, and know that Abraham had eight sons, but really what's in focus are two of them. And the one with Hagar was by fleshly design that we're going to create a religious following here. Sarah, Sarah was God impatient. But you know, where does, where does the Lord bring that up against her in the New Testament? Or Abraham? The Lord is so merciful. That's why I said the bar isn't too high. We can all delight in the Lord and please Him. <coughs> Was Ishmael the seed of Abraham? Sure, in a sense. But are they all children? Are they all, they, are they all the children of God? No. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. The covenant promises come down through Sarah and a promised son named Isaac. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. Throw out the bondwoman and her son, but the free woman and her son is the mother of us all. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed, and we are the children of promise by salvation through Jesus Christ. Oh, I could... Yeah, let's go ahead. Romans 11. Romans 11. Let's just bury it. The physical descendants of Abraham are not the children of God. The spiritual descendants of Abraham are the children of God. The real seed of Abraham are Jesus and Christians. Ishmael and the sons of Keturah are not the real seed of Abraham. The real seed of Abraham comes through one woman, one line, and it's traced through the New Testament by the Apostle Paul for us. Verse 1 of Romans 11, I say then, hath God cast away his people? Has God thrown away all the Jews? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham. What is, how does he mean it there? Of the seed of Abraham. He means it physically. I'm a physical descendant of Abraham. Of the tribe of Benjamin, God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew, his elect people, coming down through Abraham. 
and Isaac and Jacob. Wot ye not what the Scripture saith of Elias? How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, then at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And so there's, a, there's an election of grace right here, evident in this room, that we're the seed of Abraham by God's choice. He's cast away. He's cast away the biological descendants for the most part. Only a few saved. And he's gathered in the Gentiles in great heaps to make that huge Jewish church explode that we learned about in the book of Isaiah, especially chapters 60 through 62. We read wonderful things, and you love those things as the church exploded. And I read to you earlier today, Matthew chapter 8, they shall come from the east and the west. They shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the children of the kingdom, the ones that had the biological right to it, get thrown out. Come over to Revelation chapter... I'm still on this point. Who's the real seed of Abraham? Now, there's never been a group of people that claim to be the seed of Abraham quite like the Jews. Did John run into it? John ran into it, and John rebuked them. Did Jesus run into it? Jesus rebuked them. These people base everything on their relationship to Abraham. And we've just read that God considers them Hagar and Ishmael. But I want to share this with you. Those of you that have been around for a while have heard it before. Verse 9 of chapter 2. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. Revelation 2.9. I know thy works. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. And tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. That's what we were talking about at break time. How rich we are. In the grace of God and our salvation and the knowledge that God's given us of the truth. We're rich. We're flat out rich. The question was being asked me, what are some of these points of doctrine worth to me in dollar terms? I don't know how to answer that question. But you know, we like throwing around $10,000 figures that this point of doctrine is worth $10,000. But that's probably too light. There's been inflation since I started the ministry. They're precious. It's riches. It's riches. Most... Are we rich by stained glass? What makes a church rich? The grace of God, presence of Christ, power of the Holy Spirit, and a body of true doctrine. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but of the synagogue of Satan. Who worships in synagogues? Jews do. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but of the synagogue of Satan. That is how serious the Lord Jesus Christ is about this distinction. Because the children of promise are children by electing grace of God. And the children of the devil, those that are Jews, claim to be the children of God and say they are Jews, and they're not even Jews in God's opinion. Jump over to chapter 3 where there's a shorter version of this same statement, but it adds a little bit that makes it even more precious. Revelation 3, 9, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. 
Jesus is addressing through John the seven churches of Israel or the seven churches of Asia. Yeah, Asia. I've got a few of you. I shouldn't have been able to. The seven churches of Asia. These are Gentiles. These are Gentiles that he's addressing. These Jews, this, this, these statements by Jesus sound alarming, but they're very consistent with John 8. Ye are of your father the devil, the synagogue of Satan. Ye are of your father the devil, the synagogue of Satan. It's very consistent. And I'll make them come and worship that I have loved you Gentiles and chosen you. Because isn't that what the, the book of Isaiah taught us? That the Lord is going to pull out of... Listen, didn't God tell Jesus, don't feel bad that you weren't very successful among the Jews because you're going to have a huge day in bringing Gentiles like the Church of Greenville in. Do you remember all that? I want it to all flow together for you. It's the whole Bible. This is the last book. Genesis is the first. The whole Bible is dealing with the Abrahamic covenant. They say they're Jews, but they're not. They're of the synagogue of Satan. Jesus and Christians are Abraham's true seed. And we remember that when we look at the promises. Second point, Abraham had a spiritual, not a carnal, earthly, or natural view of the promises. Let's go to John chapter 8. You quizzers, somebody should know a verse in there. According to John 8, verse 56. Who saw my day? I need two answers. Who and my? Abraham and Jesus. Very good. John 8, 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Is that in the red writing in your Bible? Because that's the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. He's the my day. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So what made Abraham happy in the Old Testament? Looking east? Looking west? Looking north? Looking south? And the Lord saying, all that I'm going to give you. Nope. What made him happy? He saw his seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw the spiritual seed. Abraham rejoiced to see my day and was glad. That's what made him happy. He didn't sit down at his computer or pull out his cell phone and say, the Lord's going to multiply me. That means I can't use addition. So I'm going to use multiplication. And if each generation of my family has 12, like my grandson's going to have, and I multiply 12 times 12 out for 55 generations, how many will it be? He didn't do anything like that. He was thinking of a spiritual seed in the Lord Jesus Christ. It tells us so. Do you, have you ever heard me say, you better read the Old Testament with the spectacles of the New Testament on? We never reverse that, and we never read the Old Testament by itself. Do you know what the number one rule of all dispensationalists are for Bible hermeneutics? The number one rule? Take everything literally. It is unbelievable. And we don't look at the old, we don't look at the new with the old. When you're talking to a Presbyterian, you ask them, why do you sprinkle? What book of the Bible do they turn to? Ezekiel. Are you kidding me? Why would you go to the Old Testament for a New Testament ordinance? Oh, Lord, thank you for saving us. When you ask them about the millennium, ask them, what's the millennium like? They're going to turn you to Isaiah 11 and show you a wolf lying down with a lamb. 
forgetting that that's our marriage in Christ. I thought I'd use you this time. You know I've been working hard to apologize for all the wolf years. Why would I even apologize? <laughs> for, the, for the point I'm talking about. The Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm part of the seed of Abraham, and the Lord Jesus Christ has purchased the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm very convicted about it. Old dogs can learn new tricks. <clears throat> what a wonderful verse. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Oh, so that's what really motivated Abraham. A spiritual view of the Lord Jesus Christ coming. So, when, when the God said that to him, though the words are limited in the Old Testament, Abraham knew there, was, knew there was more there to those words than what we get by a superficial reading of it. And we have the benefit of the New Testament telling us that. Thank you, Lord, for John 8, 56. Now let's go to Galatians 3. We're on the second point. These are two crucial points. Two crucial points. You cannot understand Genesis 12 through 25 without these two points. You will, you will get confused. You will run into heresy. The first point, Jesus and Christians are the true seed of Abraham. Second point, Abraham had a spiritual perspective of things different than we think when we read the earthly, fleshly, carnal words back there, like earth and east and west, north, south, multiplied, many, riches, and all those kind of words. We're thinking naturally, but Abraham was above that because God had already dealt with him enough by his spirit that he was looking for something different. And the Bible is very clear about this. I'm, I think I'm working toward a verse. Oh, yeah. That says he wasn't mindful of an earthly country. If he'd have been mindful, he'd have gone back to Ur of the Chaldeans. It was the, it was the, uh, oh, the, the cradle of civilization. Mesopotamia was one fabulous area between the rivers Euphrates and Tigris flowing into the Persian Gulf. It was a fabulous part of the world. Galatians 3. Look at this verse. Verse 8. And the Scripture, and the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. This is Genesis. And the Scripture. This is Genesis. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham. I wrote you in the last couple of days, did anybody preach the gospel to Abraham? Did he hear it? Did he believe it? Did he see it? He rejoiced to see my day. The gospel was preached to Abraham saying, this is the gospel being preached. What is the gospel? The good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. What does it say when you're reading in Genesis? In thee shall all nations be blessed. That's Genesis 12. It doesn't even say in thy seed. In thee shall all nations be blessed. But what is the crux of the issue? What is at stake? The heathen, Gentiles, you and me, you are heathen. To this book. You're heathen and I'm heathen. I love to be heathen. I want to be a heathen baby. I want to be a heathen worm because the Lord calls me all those things in the Bible and I want him to know it, that I'm not ashamed one bit to be your worm. That's the greatest position on earth in the universe to be your worm. I want you to understand Galatians 3.8, the scripture, Genesis chapter 12, foreseeing 
that God would justify the church of Greenville through faith by the finished work of Jesus Christ by the grace of God preached before the good news about Jesus Christ unto Abraham by these words, In thee shall all nations be blessed. And in those words, in thee shall all nations be blessed, Gentiles are going to be converted to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and saved. The gospel was preached to Abraham. And Abraham knew it because he saw my day and rejoiced. And i got to go through all this with you so that we can just have fun with the Ten Promises. Because once I get the work out of the way, it's just fun. And we're going to milk them. And you're going to have to come back next week for them. Never forget Galatians 3.8. The words in the Old Testament, in thee shall all nations be blessed, are not us helping the Jews with military aid in the Middle East. Nothing like that at all. It is justification by faith and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ being preached to Gentiles so that from Abraham came a man named Jesus Christ who was preached by a man named Paul who turned the world upside down to find you and me. And that fulfills Genesis 12. And how spiritually minded Abraham was that he saw the day of Jesus Christ and rejoiced and was made glad by it. You should be made glad by this verse. Now, you understand this verse completely now? When you're in the Old Testament and you see, in thee and in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed, ah, I don't need Galatians 3.16. I can get by with Galatians 3.8 because 3.8 says enough that it's all about Jesus Christ and justification through him being preached to Gentiles. Thank you, Lord! Do you know how those words are wrested from Genesis? In thee shall all nations be blessed. A nation's prosperity is in direct proportion to its treatment of the Jews. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Remember, I'm nailing down the point that Abraham had a spiritual not a carnal, not an earthly or a natural view of the promises God gave him. He, was correct. he wasn't a dispensationalist. It's dispensationalists that corrupt him. He wasn't one. He was a spiritual follower of Jesus Christ, and he saw his day, and he was looking forward to going to heaven to be with his seed. Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance... Was there real dirt in this world that Abraham's descendants eventually got? Yes, there was. Obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went, though he never inherited any of it. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country. See, he didn't look at that as home at all. It was a strange country. Dwelling in tabernacles, that means he was a tent dweller, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him, of the same promise that of the land. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never owned any of it. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now I know I gave you these verses in the slide presentations on Wednesday and Thursday, but what I want you to notice in verse 10 is the verb. He looked. He looked. He looked. Abraham had a spiritual perspective on the promises that were given to him. Not an earthly, not a carnal, not a natural. 
He looked for something else. He was looking for heaven. He did not look east, west, north, and south and think of that as anything special. He looked at heaven. He looked. 8 through 10. Then we have Sarah stuck in there at verse 11, so I'm going to jump to verse 13. These all died in faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These all died in faith, not having received the promises of the land in particular, but having seen them afar off, they're a long ways away, and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth, that there was nothing on this earth that really attracted their souls. They were persuaded that they were heavenly things they were looking for, and they embraced those heavenly things, and they confessed, this earth is not my home. And the whole point of Zionism is, this earth is their home. It's unbelievable. Zionism is the modern movement to create a Jewish state in the Middle East and to preserve and defend it at all costs. And to consider the Jews a special people throughout the world and to protect them and honor them. Zionism. They saw them afar off. They saw the spiritual fulfillment. They saw the city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God, back in 10. They saw that. They were persuaded of it. They embraced it, and they confessed that is what they really wanted. Praise the Lord for that. By the way, what's the name of that city? Jerusalem. I need another modifier. Heavenly Jerusalem. The Jerusalem which is above. The Jerusalem which is the mother of us all. For they that say such things, verse 14, people that say things like verse 13, that they are strangers and pilgrims on earth. Do you remember the, do you remember the young man that preached about being a stranger and a pilgrim on earth about a year ago? Remember that young man? They that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. It's plain. It should be very plain that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob declaring and confessing that they were pilgrims and strangers on this earth, having embraced a different kind of a promise, a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. They that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, some other country, some country not there, where they could touch it and look at it, and truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. They had left a country for a country. They might have gone back to that great country. Listen, there wasn't anything in Canaan. He had to establish himself everywhere he went, and he was in a tent. He probably had a big house in Ur of the Chaldeans if he'd been mindful. But he was not mindful of things on this earth. His, he was mindful of things in heaven because he was spiritually minded. But now they desire a better country. They don't want where they came from, and they don't want what they're in. They want a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. And that is the heavenly Jerusalem, and that is heaven, and that's where we're going. This life isn't complicated. We get to die. We get to die and join Abraham in the promised land. Was that slide presentation entitled... Abraham's promised land or taking a, a promised land tour with Abraham or, or something like that. I intended it to be so years ago. Thank you, Lord, for this right here. The point, let me help, help me finish it up. The point is Abraham had a spiritual, not a carnal, earthly, or natural view of the promises. So when we go back there and we look at those 10 promises and they're repeated. So when I say 10, I mean 10, sometimes repeated twice, thrice, four times. It's a lot of verses. But when you look at them, two things. 
the seed is Jesus and Christians, Abraham understood them differently than a superficial reading of Genesis is going to give you. He looked at them spiritually. Not earthly, not natural, not carnal. And if you have these two keys, if you have these two keys, you can open Genesis 12 through 25 and not go into heresy and not be confused. Just be imaginative because you have to be because the terminology isn't going to be back there. When it says, in thee and thy seed shall all kingdoms of the earth be, all nations of the earth be blessed, you got to remember, oh yeah, that is Gentiles being justified by Jesus Christ and having the gospel preached to them because the one that justified them, whose name is Jesus, came from Abraham. Okay, that's what it means. Then you can go off. Then you can go off about the King James Version coming out of England in 1611, about England ruling the world and the sun never setting on the, on the British Empire as English was spread everywhere with Bibles everywhere and America and truth and Baptist churches and Nagaland in India that's over 50% Baptist. And you, you can think about all that because it's all fulfilled in those verses. And so it, it becomes the limit of your knowledge of the Bible and a little bit of history. And you can just fill in the promises. I'll help you do it. It's already done. Now that I have extra time, I'll just do more of it. For your benefit, the Lord willing. Look at the. This is so precious. Let's just flip the page to chapter 12. Just you know this, you know this sentence so well because I've read it to you a thousand times. Verse 22. But ye are coming to Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, that city back there in chapter 11, here it is being described, heaven above, to an innumerable company of angels, general assembly and church of the firstborn, written in heaven, God the judge of all, spirits of just men made perfect, Abraham's bosom, that's why spirit of just men made perfect, Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel, this is the fulfillment of Abraham and his seed, and Abraham and his land, right here in verses like this. Look at chapter 13 and verse 14. Don't ever forget this when you're talking to a Zionist or a dispensationalist. 13, 14. For here, that is in this world, have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Oh, there it is. Just, pound, just pounding home the point to us over and over again. Two points. And now that this works out of the way, when we come back, it'll be all pleasure in looking at the promises. Because I will have done the work to save us all from misapplying them. They're ours. They're ours in Christ. Two things we've got to remember. Jesus and Christians have the true, real seed intended by God in the promises to Abraham. Two, Abraham understood them that way because he was spiritually minded and wasn't looking at the earthly, carnal, or natural fulfillment of those promises. So that when a man like Stephen would get in the pulpit in Acts chapter 7, and he would say, he'd quote the promise, God promised to give this, inher this land as an inheritance to Abraham, but Abraham never had enough to put the sole of his foot on. It was there under the surface, but those Jews wouldn't have understood it, so Stephen didn't even worry about them. He just laid out history they'd agree with until he got to his invitation when he said, ye uncircumcised. And he opened the altar to any of them that wanted to come forward by telling them, they were uncircumcised. And they did come forward. They came forward like this. 
it says they stopped up their ears and grabbed stones and stoned Stephen to death. He wasn't going to throw his pearls before swine. But all you have to do is read the first five verses of Acts chapter 7 and you know he knew because he said God promised this inheritance to them but he didn't have enough for the sole of his foot to put. So I wonder what the fulfillment is. And that's why we have the New Testament. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. May you be excited about Abraham. May you read 14 chapters this to a day. To a day. To get from 12 through 25. And when we come together again, we will look at those precious promises. Stand with me, please. Heavenly Father, blessed God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh, the God of the Abrahamic covenant, we thank Thee for Thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the true seed of Abraham, and we thank Thee that You have put us in Him, and we have put Him on by baptism, and that there is not even male or female in this church when we think of our position in Christ, but we are the heirs of the promise. Heavenly Father, forgive me for anything I said that detracted from this glorious gospel preached to Abraham that we're able to see and to understand. I know, Lord, I was unable to do the subject justice, the subject and the topic, the truth and the riches of the truth are unsearchable. They're unspeakable. But we thank Thee, Heavenly Father, let us this day, as was prayed at the beginning of our two services, let us this day have the righteous character of Abraham, that we might know and show that we are truly the seed of Abraham, the, chil the, the children of the father of the faithful. Oh, Lord, help us to that end. Let the fathers in this assembly be mighty men, like Abraham is described in verse 19 of chapter 18. And, oh, Lord, let these women, whether old or young, aspire to be like Sarah, his wife, one of the holy women, brought forward and given to us several times in the New Testament. We thank Thee for this day. We thank Thee for what You have shown us. We thank Thee for being with us. Now take us from this place and help us to live as Your dear children in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.